My guest is Matthew O'Sullivan, who for the past 29 years has been working to fill the gaps of New Zealand's military history. He's the official keeper of photographs at the Air Force Museum in Christchurch, which is home to an archive containing more than one million snapshots documenting both the Air Force and Defence Force over the years. Some of those images date back to World War II, a handful of negatives going right back even to the 1920s. Now, as well as conserving the collection, Matthew often gets requests from the public hoping to track down images of long-lost relatives or from faraway towns who want to memorialise our country's role in war. Matthew O'Sullivan with us now from the Christchurch studio. Kia ora, welcome to Nine to Noon. Kia ora, Susie. Good to have you with you. Good to have you with us today. Um, I suppose Keeper of Photographs um, does what it says on the tin, but tell us, what does that involve doing? It's an unusual museological term for New Zealand. In England, they have lots of keepers. Um, Reed curator, I guess. Um, But like you say, it it does what it says on the tin. I look after the photograph collection, um, a few other things, the audiovisual collection, the moving film collection, um, and uh, curate that and also um, preserve it for future generations. How did you get into it? Uh, answered a job and a job advert in the newspaper, effectively. <laughs> but it was a good combination of a uh, a personal interest in uh, military history, and also uh, I'm a photographer, um, and so that um, uh, combined the the two interests in one job. So I absolutely. don't mind getting up and going to going to work. A very effective way to combine your interests, absolutely. Um, the collection that you have there, more than a million images. Um, I mean that. It feels quite hard to even get my head around. I mean, how many how many boxes, how many rooms do you need for a million photographs? Uh, it's funny. A million is kind of a round number, which which we've always said, because we've never sat down and counted them all. It just just you know, it's crazy. But I have uh, um, a couple of rooms which are climate controlled. Um, one which has um, prints and photo albums and things like that, and another which has largely negatives. Um, those uh, range from, as you said, some glass plate negatives from the, the 1920s, but it goes up to right up to um, aerial film, which the Air Force have f- photographed over the years, um, and includes um, things like um, fisheries patrol photographs by Five Squadron, and you know as late as the 1990s. You mentioned climate control. Um, what? In what way do you store photographs that you're needing to preserve, you know, being as high quality for as long as possible? Yeah, it's a fairly complex subject um, because it it depends on what the media is. Like, for example, colour negatives require or um, ideally require um, different storage to glass negatives, which require different storage to uh, black and white negatives. And then in black and white negatives, there's all sorts of sub categories when some uh, you know modern safety films pretty good and then you get in the 50s you get things like uh, acetate which deteriorates quite quickly and then you of course you've got nitrates and so there's all these um, considerations Uh, we have uh, um, quite strict temperature and humidity controls in in those areas well in fact in in the whole uh, archive building Um, and then it's just a matter of um, Treating each frame on its merits, um, usually 
they've come to me um, in the older glassine bags, which are okay, but they're not ideal. I, when I digitise them, I'll then uh, rehouse them into a acid-free four-flap enclosure, you know, up to modern standards, um, which pass the PAT test. That's the photographic activity test. That's one of the one of the things that conservators rely on to to know that uh, the um, the enclosures that we're using are, are up to scratch. Mm. How do you handle some of these, particularly, I suppose, those old negatives, like you say, the ones on acetate? Um, very carefully. Uh, always gloves. We I I prefer cotton gloves, although you can use. Um, Nitrile gloves, you know, the, the basically rubber gloves, um, but the handling handling is the big danger, unfortunately, just because um, accidents happen. Um, but we wear gloves because it protects the object from the um, well, our skin sweats, which which then dries, which causes chemical salts on your fingers, which then get transferred to the to the object and. Um, a negative, particularly, I want to use the, a very broad term, plastic negatives. Um, they are, they or they, the older ones can be quite hydroscopic, so they absorb all those um, contaminants off your fingers, and then uh, over time um, they can uh, affect the image. Um, mm. You know, there, there might be a, a fingerprint in the sky or something very obvious like that. <laughs> yeah, you certainly don't want that. Um, no. Tell me about the images themselves. What sorts of things do they show? Well, um, the the ones that survive from the very early days uh, tend to be uh, very nice photographs of aircraft. There are a few uh, training group photos. You know, they, they started training pilots and the mid to late 1920s, and there's one, a nice one of the um, the later to be king who was met a lot of the pilots at Wigram. That was in 1927. Um, you know, there are photos of the Southern Cross when it visited here in 1928. But the Air Force really um, started photographing in earnest, I say, I, I guess, um, in about 1941 when they realised that PR was was a big asset in the war effort. Um, so they th- that's when um, you know the numbers really ramp up. So from about 1940 to 45, there's a series of about 10,000 odd, which is the the wartime public relations series. So they they sent photographers up to the Pacific and photographed people at work, um, pilots doing their thing. Um, you know, all, a whole range of things. Unfortunately, a lot of those ones' names weren't recorded. That's a bit of a um, a bit of a problem for me over, over the years. Um, so I, I love to see a photo album come in, which is um, someone's carefully written names and places and dates under each photo, because it makes my job so much easier. Yeah, I bet it does. Um, how complete is that record that you've got, or do you have gaps? Um, so there are gaps in, in the very early years. Um, the only gaps in that uh, the wartime PR series is there's the odd one which has been broken and you know it's just missing. There's, there's a very few that are missing. Um, after the war, the Air Force carried on photographing, and, um, and the, there are three significant series: Wigram, Ohaka, and Fenerpai, um which are hundreds of thousands strong. Now, there are gaps in the 50s because they they started using um, what's called acetate film, 
which deteriorates, and it, it gives it, the byproduct is a, is um, it, it smells like vinegar, and it's commonly called vinegar syndrome. Um, so there are big gaps in the fifties, uh, very early sixties, but after that, it's very much complete. Mm. So I guess uh, if people are listening and they've got uh, as you say, maybe albums or photographs from that time period, you'd be interested to know about them. Absolutely. Um, we, we're a lot more, um, I mean, as a team, we're a lot more professional in, in how we deal with these things. For example, if, um, you know, after the war, uh, airmen were given the option to, to take, um, I think it was 10 photographs which reflected their service, and they were given to them um, uh, you know, for nothing, just as a as a memory. Now they were taken from the negatives which I hold. Now often we get offered those prints, and and often we'll say, well, thanks, but no thanks, because you know it's 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 duplication, and the collection is so large that we're trying to manage some of that duplication. Um, but uh, you know where where we get a offered a collection, you know, it might be. It might be a hundred photos and then a photo album, and some of those are those official negatives, but the rest of them are privately taken photographs. We'll generally accept them all um, because it, it it all adds context and adds relevance and provenance to to the collection and to the story of that that particular airman. Mm. What's it like when you uncover some of those gaps, particularly ones, I suppose, that um, that give you a whole other side to the history, I suppose. I'm thinking of things like the dummy aircraft. Exactly, and that, that's that's probably the big one. Then, and, and there are um, areas of RNZF history where where there are fewer, there, there is less of a photographic record. Um, and one of those is dummy aircraft. Now, these were built. They did it in England as well, um, and then they were scattered around the perimeter of the airfield so that if the, um, the in our case the Japanese flew over and they were looking at our defences we would look like we would have a much stronger air force than we did of course that was top secret at the time and so there are very few photos often they'll appear in the background or if, if, if we've taken an aerial photograph of a of an airfield you can see them in, in the background um, about 10 years ago we were offered a uh, a packet of negatives, and I went down um, and vis- uh, to the front uh, of the museum and met with the donor, and she said, "Oh, you know, my father took these, and um, I, I knew they were negatives, so I took my gloves down, and I held them up to the light, and my mouth dropped open because these were photos of uh, men building the dummy aircraft, um, and these these particular ones were Hudsons. Now these are just." It's unheard of. I haven't mm. seen any other photos of it, and it's it's rare as hen's teeth. And you realised straight away. I, I, I knew, I knew what they were. Um, I, I had to do some research into it, and we don't. We, we no information came with them, like where they were or when they were. We could make a, make a guess to say they were sort of circa forty one, forty two. But I looked in the back of one of them, and it looked there was a suspiciously familiar hangar in the background, and I think they were taken at Hobsonville. Wow, that must have been an extraordinary moment when you suddenly realise what you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, I I get I'm lucky I get to see a lot of really good photos, um, and and a lot of really rare photos. Um, but it's just it's nice to see something 
new and interesting come into the collection. Definitely. Mm. You're listening to Nine to Noon on RNZ National. Susie Ferguson in for Catherine Ryan. We're talking with Matthew O'Sullivan, the keeper of photographs at the Air Force Museum in Christchurch. Um, tell me about some of those images. What are some of those ones that, that really stick in your mind? Um, I've been working through a, a really nice collection at the moment of over a thousand colour slides uh, from the 50s. These belonged to a man who, oh, his name was uh, Wally Tarr, who was on the RNZAF Antarctic flight. Um, so when Ed Hillary um, was doing his support uh, for the trans-Antarctic crossing, the Air Force sent down two aircraft, two pilots and a handful of, of servicemen. Uh, and this guy went down for three seasons from about 50, 56, 57 through till about 61, I think it was. And he took colour photos. Now, this inv- a lot of the photos involved uh, involves uh, the Antarctic flight, which is great to see colour from that nice early period. But it also involves the building of Scott Base. So it's you know from a it's a nationally significant collection, particularly from a Antarctic heritage point of view. Um, those sorts of photographs must be very rare. Um, how? How carefully do you have to store those? I mean, you've mentioned things like the gloves and the climate control, but for for some of these particularly rare photographs or negatives, are you having to take extra precautions? Um, well, like I said before, it, everything gets treated uh, on its own merits. Now, um, the majority of them are in cardboard mounts, and I'm, I'm not going to demount those because of the acidic cardboard. I'm going to... I'm going to leave them as they are. Effectively, what I've done is is backed up uh, the original um, slide by digitising it um, and and putting on on our online database. Um, and then and then uh, some of them are, are glass mounted, but then they mm. will. I'll just I'll put them into um, acid-free boxes and I'll number the boxes. Um, you know, this is numbers 1 to 100 in this box and numbers 101 to 200 in the next box. Mm. Uh, and then they go into the climate control. Um, ideally, we would have, uh, we would store um, some of the colour media in in a uh, slightly colder climate than we have, but we're just uh, not at the moment. Um, we, we, the ideal um, for colour negatives, for example, you know, ideally we would freeze those in a um, in a humidity controlled freezer. Uh, we don't have that at the moment, but uh, we're working towards it. Freeze them? Huh? Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, National Library have a freezer for for their for the media that they uh, that require that, and they have another one at about five degrees for the media that require that. Um, so yeah, it's 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 we we just it's ever improvement from our point of view. Mm. Um, when you get photographs or when you're having a look at photographs, and it's perhaps not clear where it's from, or you don't know who or what it may be depicting, how do you go about that detective work of working it out? Um, if we know the name of the serviceman. Uh, who they relate to, and often we do, and, and our registrar generally um, tries to pick the brains of the donor. Um, you know, to say, uh, who do they relate to, and all of that. You know, where, where, and all. Um, you know, what was his full name, that sort of thing. Um, we can do a little bit of work to see around where they served and what units they served with. 
Um, and then really it's just a matter of looking at the image and and uh, and seeing what we can see. The background is a really good uh, indicator. Um, I always look at the background. Um, for example, uh, Wigram has a very distinctive background with the Port Hills. Um, uh, Hobsonville has a very distinctive background of uh, Herald Island. Um, so you can see, usually you can see water and then Herald Island, which mm. in those days was covered in bush. Um, so yeah, yeah, look in the background is is one of the big um, the big clues. Mm. Um, I guess you obviously have people coming to you with photographs, but you must um, get quite a lot of people coming to you to see if you hold any photographs of um, of their relatives. That, that's right. Um, often people don't have uh, a good photo of their father or grandfather um, often in those days it was customary for them to go into a studio and have a, a studio portrait taken and, and often we have those, not always um, but for me it's really it's, uh, it's hard to find a really nice studio portrait um, of someone generally if I'm finding a photo it's in a some sort of training course photo um, in the war there will be pilots courses, generally are the ones that, that, that we've got a nearly a complete set of wartime pilots courses. But if it's post-war, you know, it might be recruit courses, it might be, um, you know, it might be trade training courses, um, any number of different avenues. And we have um, records which, uh, records from the training schools which often have uh, have a, a photo of a, of a course but they're also named so that that's, if I'm scanning a uh, an image. I'll look for look for a, a, a image which appears in the um, in the unit records, and then so I can get the name. So then, mm. all the other people can be um, searchable as well. Mm, absolutely. Um, when you find someone, um, what's it like to then go back to the family? Um, they they love it. Um, it in fact, it, that's one of the rewarding aspects of the job uh, is is giving giving these people something that they never knew existed. Um, you know, particularly as as the generations move on, we're getting into great-grandchildren now who, are, you know, might be doing a school project and, and they may have seen a couple of photos. But, you know, you can often place, um, you know, let's say great-granddad was a pilot, oh, well, he's his pilot's course. But then I can say to them, well, he also flew, went on to fly, um, let's say, um, Venturas. So I can then give them a photo of a, of a Ventura, maybe in flight or maybe on a, an airfield that I know they, they operated from. Mm-hmm. And then I might be able to find a photo of, um, say, the tented accommodation at that airfield. You know, so, so it's illustrative of his service rather than you know, a direct photo. And that that's that's that does the job as much as a direct photo. Mm, touching history, eh? Um, mm. I understand that, of course, you deal with photographs mainly, but you also uh, reunited a man with his war medals. Yeah, yeah many years ago, um, I, I mean, th- th- these sorts of inquiries come to me because I I, um, I do a little bit of work on the medal collection as well. Now, this lady came to me and said. Um, where can I get replica medals because my father never received his? So the first thing I said was, did he apply for them? Because uh, after World War II, you had to apply for your your own medals. Um, and she thought that he didn't. Um, in fact, uh, that was that was my suspicion. So I gave her the information, 
um, about where to apply and how to apply, um, which is the medals office at Trentham. So she did that um, on his behalf. And then um, she she rang me back uh, several months later um, and her father had been in hospital when his medals arrived and he was he had a tear in his eye because he never realised that he was entitled to so many. I think he he was entitled to about five. Um, and so just you know months before his death he was uh, presented with his medals and he was he was a very happy man it was it was a mm. very touching story mm, absolutely um now it's not always necessarily people in new zealand that are coming to you um small towns or individuals overseas as well get in touch yes um particularly holland um they they uh, <laughs> They're very, they, they consider their history to be very important and, and they very much appreciate the effort of the Allies in World War II. So often I get people from a small village who's part of a small committee. They know that a particular aircraft was shot down and crashed near the village and they want to memorialise it. And, uh, of course, they want to show photos of all of the crew. Now, they weren't all necessarily New Zealanders, um, but they'll come to me looking for photos of... Uh, the New Zealanders who who died in that crash, um, and when they died, that's often that's an easy one because um, frequently their photos appeared in the weekly news um, a couple of months after their um, after their death, and we have a full set of the weekly news, so I can go through those and, and often find a photo of if I can't find them in a, in a training course photo, um, I'll find them there. So and then that that for the locals that puts faces to the names of the people who, who uh, sacrificed their lives mm. um, in the defence of their country. Speaking of faces and names, um, you uncovered a photo that drew a lot of media attention, which involved uh, Amelia Earhart. Tell us a little bit about that one. Uh, yeah, it. it um, that was my previous fifteen minutes of fame, I guess. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd been contacted by um, a, a um, organisation in America called Tiger T I G H A R, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, uh, and they'd, they've been researching the Amelia Earhart mystery for many years, uh, longer than I've been in the job, and um, we have a, a, a copy of a photograph album of one of the survey parties which were up in the area um, they they were surveying, surveying the coral route so places for flying boats to land and refuel flying from America to um, to New Zealand um, now I have a I have a, a stock of aerial film from um, just before to right through the, um, the the war and this tin of film uh, had written on it unknown uh, unknown island, and I had crossed that island and put atoll. So clearly, I'd had a look at it, and, and I don't like unknown. So I I researched it a bit more, and it turns out it was a, a, a um, place called Gardner Island, which is now Nikumaroro Island, which is in um, uh, or oh, it, it just escapes me. Um, but anyway, mm. it's it's supposedly the. Or the theory goes that that's where Amelia Earhart um, crash-landed her aircraft. Mm. And these photos were taken in 1937 uh, when they were surveying the coral route, which is only a few years after Amelia Earhart went missing. So 
I emailed this guy in America, and within two weeks, him and a forensic photographer were on their way to New Zealand to um, copy my images, look at the original stuff, and um, they, unfortunately, they didn't find anything of interest. But it was a it was the most exciting lead they'd had for many years. Oh, it's pretty tantalising, isn't it? I remember that Absolutely, one when it happened. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, of course, since you started the job in, um, what, the mid-90s, I suppose, there's yeah, been quite a technological revolution. Back in 1994, um, I remember, you know, being in a dark room to develop mm. photographs. Don't do that anymore. Well, you can, but it's, it's, you, not, it's not the way that many of us take photographs no. anymore, is it? I didn't even have an email address when I started. I had a standalone <laughs> computer with a uh, with an Excel spreadsheet on it. And, um, uh, but yes, things have moved along a lot. I was um, pulling the negative, going to the darkroom, making a print, um, you know, sending it out to the the people who had ordered it. Um, but now, of course, everything is digital. Um, so I I'll, I'll take my uh, digital copy from the original negative where I, where I can do that. So, uh, you know, the, the, the most original image that I can find. Uh, and then I make that available to researchers or to the general public. Oh, we have a, uh, an online database which people can uh, search up um, names or aircraft or whatever it might be. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you very much for coming into the studio this morning and for telling us about that. Matthew O'Sullivan there, who is the keeper of photographs at the Air Force Museum in Christchurch. If you want to have a look at the collection, uh, it's airforcemuseum.co.nz slash photographs slash. That should take you there.